Welcome to Horror and More with Anya Gore. I am your host, your horror mistress, Anya. Welcome to my podcast this evening. I'm very excited to have one of my dearest, oldest friends, and I don't mean old in terms of age. I mean old as in 19 years friendship. I've got Marty with me here tonight. Hi, Marty. Hi, Anya. How are you? I'm really good. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing really good. <laughs> yep. Getting into the Christmas spirit, even though I've been a Grinch for so long. Oh, my God. What else can you really do at this time of year? Honestly, I know. This is we're, terrible. We're stuck at home. Well, you and I haven't seen one another in forever. Months. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think, the near the end of summer, I think, was the last time that we actually physically saw each other. I know. <sighs> Girl, I miss you. I know, I miss <laughs> you, too. And so for anybody listening tonight, you might have seen Marty on some of Malevolent Productions' posts. Marty is a gothic model. I guess we want to say gothic. Gothic we? alternative, yeah. Not, I'm yeah. not a, a horror model like yourself or a gore model, but yeah, just uh, started this year with Malevolence and started doing some more gothic, I, I would say. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, it fits you. It, Thank you. <laughs> your pictures are just beautiful. I think seeing the witch come out in you has mm. just made my heart soar. Oh, well, you started it. So. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. I did start that. <laughs> I just came as a prop one day and then I was like, oh, I really like doing this. Let's continue doing this for fun. Yeah. So yes. thank you. No problem. Go back as, as listeners, go back to my earlier posts where Marty and I did a few different concepts all in one. Um, and that was when I was a little dabbing a little bit more into the overtly sexual content and less there was some gore involved but some of it was just straight up sex and nudity and you know dub mm -hmm. psalm no dom sub I said that dom one. sub <laughs> i i have also had a beverage tonight so good yeah i'm two glasses into some mulled wine so it's, it is the season <laughs> that's true so listeners we have known each other uh, she confirmed this that it was 19 years i thought it was 20 but so close in our in, in our entire relationship she's always been the one with the memory not me i'm terrible <laughs> with dates terrible um can we, confirm <laughs> we uh we've known each other for 19 years we met each other when we were wee little pups the cutest little innocent pups in high school and we worked together at a music store called hmv um it's Canadian and UK based. Well, I guess UK based and then came over to Canada. I don't believe there was any stores in the US, was there? No, uh, there was one store, I think one, maybe two or something. It was one in New York. They tried it just the same way that we had Virgin Mega Store here for a little bit. Right. They tried an HMV down there, it did not work. But yeah. Yeah, 2001. Wow. Yeah, I was fresh out of high school, I think, when I jumped on board with HMV. Yeah. Yep. We, uh, Right away, we kind of connected over, you know, Goonies, the love of Goonies, the movie Goonies. <laughs> you bought me this pink shirt that you had made. That I tried Goonies. to win you over with. <laughs> you, I don't think you liked me in the very beginning. 
I think I, I, I shot you a look and I was like, oh my gosh, Anya, you're so gorgeous. You're so pretty. I, I want to be like Anya. And you probably saw that look and went, what's wrong with Marty's face? <laughs> Maybe. I don't. And yeah, I don't do you remember, remember that? No, mm -hmm. I don't. I mean, that was funny. In my defense, you know, and I'm sure you can say this as well. When you work in a music store and you're surrounded by music, movies, et cetera, you become a snob. That's just the way that it is because yeah. you get a sense of what's in, I guess, your opinion, but what's quality, what's good. So because I had been working there for a few years before you had started and come and looked at me with this apparent look, <laughs> um, I think I was already into the snob level at that point. So oh, probably, <laughs> but I got you for a secret Santa. That's I pulled your name out of a hat and we all went to uh, some restaurant nearby and exchanged gifts and I had you. And so I got you this Goonie shirt um, because I had just heard you mention Goonies at some point and how it was like one of your favorite movies or something growing up. And I was like, oh my gosh, save that for later. Yeah. Um, and that's that was the day where you were like, okay, girl, you're my friend. <laughs> so I remember that very, very distinctly. Yeah. You know, I do, I do kind of have a memory as well at that. Um, was it, was that when we were playing pool? Mm -mm. No. Okay. No, we were at a pizza place, like a pizza restaurant. Oh, <laughs> see, she's yeah. got the memory folks. Not yeah, me. I do remember. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, okay. So we have been friends, best friends for that long that when I got married, she was a bridesmaid. Well, no, I guess you weren't a bridesmaid in my way. I was there. You, you, <laughs> you were there, but you, you played a key part yeah. in my wedding because you helped out with so much with the photos and the mm -hmm. everything that mural, I think, sort of thing that you put together. Mm -hmm. And But I was a bridesmaid in your wedding. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is the big topic of discussion tonight is you are no longer a hetero monogamous person in a hetero monogamous relationship. Let's clarify all of that. Yes. I <laughs> um, from an outsider's perspective, uh, I am. It looks very similar to, uh, you know, your relationship with your husband. And um, it looks very, uh, very normal. Um, so I'm still married to my husband. Uh, we've been together for 17 years, married for 10. Um, but a few years ago, uh, I think we're coming up to that four-year mark now. So four years ago. Wow. Um, we started uh, deciding to become polyamorous. So what that means is that we take on other relationships outside of our own and within our own uh, and invite them into our lives to love and care for. So uh, I'm sure you have a definition of polyamory somewhere, don't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> And I, I'm going to say, quote unquote, it's Wikipedia definition. Mm -hmm. So I don't know who warrants these definitions on Wikipedia, anybody. But um, for those who don't know what polyamory is, it is the Greek uh, term poly, which means many and several. And the Latin amor, which is love. So polyamor. Yeah. And it is the practice of or the desire for intimate relationships with more than one partner 
with the informed consent of all partners involved. It has been described as consensual, ethical, and responsible non-monogamy. Yep. Nailed it. That's it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what does that so, mean to you? Tell mm. everybody what that means specifically to you. Yeah. So I'll, I, maybe I'll start from, you know, back in, you know, very early days with me and my partner. So um, you, most people talk about having children in their relationships. You know, I, I, at least I assume most people do, you know, when they get together and then they decide, you know, maybe this is the person I'm going to be with for, you know, the foreseeable future, the rest of my life or whatever it is that you say. And at some point, kids come up Um they come up in like, oh, how many kids do you want to have? And when would you like to start having kids? And, you know, what would you name your kids? And all these questions come up and, and conversations come up. Um, and we didn't have those conversations. I think we had like maybe one, uh, probably a couple months before we got married. And I was crying in the car all of a sudden and realized that I've never had this conversation with my partner. I've never said to him, I don't want to have children. Um, I, or at least I don't think I want to have kids. And he's like, pull over the car, pull over the car. What's going on? And I told him and he was like, it's, it's fine. Like, I don't want to have kids either. And I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I think where those conversations should have been had, we inserted a different kind of conversation into our relationship. So really early on, I was 20, 21 years old and started, you know, telling him, you know, I think you should go and find a new lover and, and sow your wild oats and blah, 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 blah. You say things like that. And I didn't really have the right language for him. I didn't say, you know, let's break up and, you know, go sleep around. And like, it wasn't that it was a, yeah, you should go, you know, you know, learn some things from some other people than bringing them back to me. Um, uh, we were really young when we got together. I was 19. He was 20, 21. Um, and so it was <laughs> shortly after you and I met Anya. Um, right. That's right. A long time ago. Yep. Yeah. You were there for it all. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, we just, we didn't have those kid conversations. We had the conversations of open relationship. Um, and that's what it was called like almost 20 years ago, right? You didn't really have that polyamorous relationship uh, language or ethical monogamy or non-monogamy. No, um, and, I, and I do want to point out as well that at mm -hmm. this time, and this is totally aging us, but mm -hmm. this was in the 90s where a lot of polygamy was happening and a lot of polygamous camps were being found out and it was being portrayed as just very, very one-sided totally. in media. and. I don't know enough about polygamists to comment on it at all, but my only experience as the same was with you mm -hmm. with any kind of open relationship was a failed outcome. Totally. And it was because uh, a relationship was failing. You saw it yeah. on TV. I think, uh, the very first time I ever saw it was actually on Dawson's Creek. <laughs> so we're talking oh. early 2000s now, but wow. I saw it on Dawson's Creek and, and um, Dawson's parents decided to have an open relationship on that, that. early That's seasons. Right. And, and I was like, oh, what's this? That sounds pretty good. But they were, their marriage was failing. And so that's the, that's the rhetoric that we were given, uh, 
you know, growing up of like an open relationship means or, you know, somebody cheated on somebody and therefore decided, okay, well, now I'm going to get back at you and cheat on you too, but you're going to know about it. So those are the kinds of conversations. But we started talking about the those open relationship dynamics really early on and it became like you know part of the bedroom talk at so at some point as well of you know mm-hmm. um you know like oh who would you of your friends like who would you invite in and like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um very uncomfortable for me of course at that point but um but yeah it was always like a threesome situation or something like that or you know possible open relationship so those conversations happened years and years and years and years and then we got married and those kind of conversations kind of died off because now you're married and you know you you do the monogamy thing and you don't really think about alternative relationships you just think okay well this is it i'm gonna get married and maybe have kids and that 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 lingering thought of like i still don't want to have kids was still in the back of my mind but i needed something that defined our relationship and held it together stronger um and when i say that i don't mean that we were at any point weak when we decided to open up so let me set the scene for you um, you can't see me. I'm waving my arms. Um, I can picture it. Yeah. So let me set the scene. Um, so at some point in 2015, I underwent a uh, PTSD therapy. Um, and I won't get into details of that, about that because that's not this podcast. That's for another podcast. But right. the, the PTSD therapy was really great. Um, it really unlocked doors within my mind that I didn't know were closed. And what came out of that is um, my realization about my sexuality. So I, uh, I started thinking about, uh, you know, women in um, a very like sexual manner. Uh, I had always done this throughout my childhood, throughout my teen years, throughout even my adulthood, but it never really dawned on me that this was something that I um, should be pursuing or something that was part of my sexual orientation. So I just decided to own it one day and said to my husband, I said, you know, I, I think I'm bi, I think I'm bisexual. And he was of course, first, uh, concerned thinking, okay, are you, are you bisexual or are you a lesbian and you're just hiding it? Or, you know, what he had lots of great questions. We talked a lot about it. Um, And then I just started telling people, I think you were maybe the second or third person I told. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were driving to a movie theater, Mm -hmm. couldn't tell you what movie we were going to go watch. And we were driving down this dark, dingy road. And I was like, Anya, I have to tell you something. I'm bisexual. And I remember your reaction. Do you remember what it was? Not exactly, but it was probably something along the lines of, well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's exactly how you reacted. You went, oh, yeah, I know. You didn't know? I knew. And I was like, fuck, Anya, you knew? And you were like, Marty. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And you're like, look at like your choice of music and your style of clothes and your haircuts over the years. And I'm like, yeah, a little bit about me is a little bit gay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, and and for some reason that has been the reaction of my close friends the entire time I've ever had to like come out 
anyone that's known me for years is like, yeah, okay, cool. Awesome. We knew you didn't know. Oh, okay. um, you know, I think one of the moments, one of the, mm-hmm. it was one of the first moments we met where I, I knew because, and maybe that's because I'm also queer, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I, I, I love women as well. And I remember when you and I, uh, again, this is putting us back to the nineties, but I got tickets to go see a Radiohead concert and I took mm-hmm. a girl that I wanted to be with instead it of hurts you. Me so much. It crushed you and it I crushed oh. me. <laughs> yeah, but come on, look at the look at the girl. She's a yeah. smoke show. She still I mean, is a smoke show. I get it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame you. But I'm still I crushed. I never saw Radiohead. <laughs> uh, your your reaction to it kind of made me go. I think there's more to it than that. Mm. I don't think it was just that you were a hundred percent bummed that I didn't take you to Radiohead I in my narrative is it was the Radiohead thing, I know. But, but it's very possible that I also was like maybe a little jealous or because you were so um you were out there with your your sexuality already at that point mm-hmm. and I didn't know who I was and maybe there was like that little bit of and that's where that jealousy I think would have come in yeah sure. yeah I, I've always felt like an older sister to you yeah so yeah. I think it was part of the owning the sexuality thing I For think sure. there it was yeah you were like oh I wish I could have gone with a hot girl like that yeah I mean jump to how many years later and I'm like oh well I got that under the rug no problem so yeah how many hot girls have I taken to concerts now, huh? That's true, way more than me. <laughs> so yeah, um, so jumping jumping back, but getting to that that point of just admitting my sexuality to friends and then eventually family and and all that, and and of course my my darling partner and husband uh, started then going, okay, yeah, she's bi. Okay, so what does this mean for us? <laughs> Um, so we started opening up those conversations again about opening up and, uh, we have these two lovely friends that we've known for many, 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 many years who are poly. Um, and we went to them first and we said, you know, can we take you over some beers? We've got some questions to ask and, um, and just had this lovely evening with them at just essentially grilling them about polyamory and what it means to them. And, you know, there's, there was some great advice and like how to start and go slow and all these other things. And same idea, like, you know, if you have kids, I'm sure you're having conversations with other parents, you know, what are the hard times and, you know, what preschool should I sign up for? And like, what's the the most surprising thing you learned about being a parent? And like, you're asking those questions to other parents. 100%. Yeah. So I'm asking these questions of the two people I know in real life who are friends of ours that have an open relationship. Um, And it was just a really lovely evening. This is like September 2016. And I think it was my birthday, actually. And so we're, we're a little bit tipsy. We're coming home on the night bus. And, and I just, you know, I said, I said to my husband, I said, you know, I think, I think this is the time to like really think about this and like we're in our 30s like we're not getting any younger um you know I love you our relationship has never been stronger you know there's there's this piece of me that's missing I haven't like experienced this particular type of situation or you know I think we've been talking long enough about this let's do some research let's hunker down let's let's figure this out and we went home and started figuring it out and, you know, 
listening to podcasts, reading books, talking to our two friends and, and um, some other people as well. And, and then my grandmother got really sick um, and ended up passing away that winter. And a couple of days after she had passed away, I looked at him and I said, you know what, if not now, when, mm-hmm. you know, um, life is so precious and so short. I do not want to look back at this life and have any regrets. And I want to experience all the things that life has to give me, the things that I want, not necessarily the things that society wants for me. I'm not having children. It's not a thing that I, that's in me. I love kids, but they're not for me. (laughs) I love your kids, Anya. They're not for Mm me. Um, I get get it. (laughs) But I, I, yeah, if not now, when, and that night we opened up a tinder account and uh it was well you can only open them up as one person so i held the account and we put our pictures on there said you know happy married couple wanting to get into into a threesome situation blah 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 and this was a safe place for me right so this was like if i'm gonna have a sexual experience with a woman wouldn't it be great if my husband was there? Yeah, <laughs> like, yep. he, it's like having backup, right? Yeah. So it's like, if I'm not performing well, it's cool. He's there. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I could just like, whatever. And we just like started thinking and talking about it. And it wasn't bothering me to like think about him with somebody else. And and just like the loving experience of all of it. And I was just like, yeah, it just seems like super, like not even just sexy. It it's just seems very beautiful and like loving and like why not do something like that when you're in love with somebody and like it's not for everybody and I'm sure there's lots of people out there that are like yeah it sounds really hot but then like if they really think about it and they picture their partner like kissing another person or anything else they're like holy cow hold the phone let's not do this um but I just I didn't get that tinge I got the opposite I got this like oh, that's like, yeah, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see you do this or that, or the other, you know? Um, so yeah. And then within like three weeks, we had a girl in our house um, who we had like gone on a date with, you know, and we set it all up. Um, so we weren't like, it wasn't going to be like a one-time, like, you know, throw caution to the wind kind of evening. Like we actually like dated her, like went on a date, took her out, my you know. memory, if my memory serves correctly, which it doesn't, mm-hmm. so bear with me. <laughs> um, was this not her first experience? This was her well. her first as well. Yeah, her okay. first with a Woo-hoo, female. Yeah, you did it. Um, <laughs> her her first with a female. Her first uh, with with a couple. Uh, she had just gotten out of a relationship with a guy for like you know many years. This is a common story for people who are seeking couples to date. Um, is you know long term relationship getting out of that and just want to do something a little different, right? They're just kind of sick and tired of the the dating game. So, but yeah, we just, it worked out. She was really lovely. It ended up being a one night thing, of course, but um, we remained like in contact with her afterwards for a little bit. And like, you know, she did end up finding, you know, a long-term partner and we wished her well. And, you know, it was really lovely. And, you know, I remember the next morning she left and, and my partner looked at me and he went, so? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, so you definitely bisexual? I'm like, oh yeah, check mark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, no, none of that, none of that sucked at all. That was all very nice. <laughs> um, 
And it's just like, for some people, this is like a major fantasy. And for me, it's like, this is just normal. It's reality. It's, it's not, sometimes it's hot and sometimes it's goofy. And sometimes it's just like regular sex. Like it's not, it's not this like crazy thing that I think a lot of people think about, you know? So yeah. And then we just, you know, we just kept doing that. We just kept, you know, having people in our lives that were short-term, long-term, um, we had, you know, a really good friend of mine now, um, we were in, you know, a very casual thing with her for a few months and she's still a really good friend of mine. And she's just uh, like such a lovely human being. Um, and so this is all like really fantastic. And then, you know, there were, I mean, there were some really tough times, um, you know, especially early on when you're trying to figure this shit out and you're like, you're making mistakes left, right, and center. You're not communicating well. You're not uh, telling each other what each other needs sometimes because you're falling back on this unconscious monogamy way of thinking. Well, that, where, that reminds me. Yeah. And I remember during some of those difficult times when mm-hmm. you really informed me about the varying levels of <laughs> polyamory and yep. the different types of people in polyamorous relationships Mm -hmm. and it really kind of made me realize that I'm in one category. (laughs) What what am I called again? A monopoly. Right. Explain, explain some of these terms to people who don't know. Yeah. Well, first I'll explain monopoly, but um, I want to say that, you know, first of all, people say it's practicing polyamory, right? Because you're practicing it because it takes practice. So that's the first one. The second one is that there are just as many ways to practice polyamory as there are people practicing it. So there's not a cookie cutter version of this. Like what works for me is not going to work for somebody else. And it's very similar to like how everybody deals with their relationships, right? Like how so you're no mono- polyamory for dummies. No, there's no handbook for this. <laughs> like there are good reference materials. We, um, we read opening up, we read more than two ethical sluts, uh, sex at dawn, all really great books. Um, fantastic podcasts out there. Multiamory is one of them. I don't know sure if I'm allowed to say that on your show, but um, <laughs> but Fine. yeah, so really fantastic references. Um, but yeah, there is no no dummies handbook for this. You kind of just figure it out as you go along, and hopefully on the other end of it, you you have figured it out. So it's taken us probably I would say it took us about three years to really get it like to really understand it and to really get it and to get a strive. Um, And now we're like, we're golden. I feel like we're in that, that sweet spot of like everything just is in place and it works and there's no surprises anymore. And we're not like back and forth hurting each other and like miscommunicating. Like we got it. We're set. Um, We definitely still fumble because it's a relationship, but it's not the same as it was in the first year. But the, so to go back to your point about monopoly, so monopoly could be um, a term used for a partner that is, that identifies as polyamorous and one that identifies as monogamous, but they're both consenting to that relationship. So um, this could be, you know, any, any dynamic, but if I was, I identify as polyamorous, my partner for many years didn't 
identify as polyamorous. He identified as ethically not monogamous, but right. didn't feel like he had it in him to love multiple people. Um, he now identifies as polyamorous because of course he did fall in love with somebody else and still loves me. So there's that's that's the the key point, I think, is when you realize that you can love multiple people. And again, I'll go back to a kid reference. Do you love both your kids, Anya? <laughs> I do. Right. Amazing. But you, for the the first couple of years, you only loved one kid because you only had one kid. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. Amazing, right? So yeah. there's there's your kid reference um, <laughs> to compare it to polyamory. I just love that so much. Um, but yeah, so th- there's there's that term absolutely. So you can you can be monogamous and want to be monogamous and be okay with your partner being polyamorous. Um, and just because you're polyamorous doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to be able to have a monogamous relationship. It just means that maybe, you know, for a a time being, you put that your identity aside, but for anybody, and I'll speak from the, from my bisexuality side of things, if I had to put my identity aside for my relationship, that relationship would probably crumble and fail. Yeah. So I knew very early on, I was not going to be wired for monogamy. I was going along with it because, and and this is where I talk about unconscious monogamy, this sort of like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I'm unconsciously going to be monogamous with this person. Um, And I feel like if you're in a good, strong monogamous relationship, you've chosen each other, you commit to a monogamous relationship, that makes you consciously monogamous. And I think a lot of people, a lot of couples go through this unconscious monogamy. Um, so to actually take a stand and say, I am monogamous is a big deal, or I am polyamorous, or I am not monogamous. Um, and, uh, I I think that's, that's a really important thing to to do for yourself and your relationship. So, yeah. Well, what's interesting is watching you go through all of this and learn Mm -hmm. who you really are and come into your own and really realize that you were constricted before. Totally. And it was no fault of my own, but my own, right? Like I'm the one that, that, that constricted me. Like nobody told me not to be myself. You know, nobody said anything like, oh, you can only be this thing or you can only be straight or you can only be monogamous, right? It was just me going, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, quite frankly, like you know, I, I knew that I was bisexual from a very early age, or at least, you know, had an attraction to women in some, some regard. And it was just easier to date yeah. guys. You know, it was, you're, you're, I, I was in high school in the nineties, right? Like yeah. it was not cool to be gay in the nineties, man. It was scary as fuck. Like it was so scary to be gay in the nineties. So you know, and I started uh, a gay straight alliance when I was in high school. Um, that was, and that was a really brave thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> so, at that age, hundred percent brave. I yeah, it was like 1998 or 1999, and I was like, I'm going to start a gay straight alliance, and I'm going to be the straight kid who's an who's an ally. Um, little did I know, right? Like, <laughs> just I wanted to do it just to see if anybody else is going to be coming out of the closet anytime soon, you know. Um, but there was like one gay kid that was out in high school, like one. one. We had two thousand kids in school. You think yeah. not just the one, really? So, well, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this Mm -hmm. in today's society, 
just the volume of knowledge that is being given to people. And even just a few days ago, I saw a new meme and it just clicked for me. Like people shouldn't be set, said as you came out of the closet. It's mm. more like you've embraced who you are or yeah. you've come into yourself. Uh-oh, I and love to come into yourself. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's such a beautiful time to acknowledge all of this things all of these things that have been pushed underneath the surface and it's like it's all bubbling up and pouring out into society right now and it's almost too much for a lot of people to handle all of this at the same time Mm -hmm. but I think that more information is more information I think we need to tell people you know don't it it isn't one thing that you thought it was 15 years ago absolutely not what I, I really... remember I remember when you first told me all of this. Yeah. One of my <laughs> first thoughts, and I know that this is probably still a stigma attached to polyamory, was well, this is just about sex. No. Yeah. Right? I am so glad you said that. First, I'm just gonna go on a train of thought here, and then I'm gonna come back to that point because I okay. love that. Um this like coming out of the closet and everything uh there's this podcast called girls who say fuck which is an amazing podcast and recommend any feminist to to listen to it but they've rebranded losing your virginity have you seen this no so they're rebranding losing your virginity to your sexual debut oh i love that because it should be it's not a loss for one number two not everybody has sex for the first time on with consent so you technically, when you, when you say these things, like losing your virginity, oh, I lost my virginity to rape, or I lost my virginity to somebody who I didn't love, or, what, like, or didn't feel good, or whatever it is. Like, whatever moment you want to make it, make that be your sexual debut. And I think that's brilliant. So I just wanted to point that out, because I think that that is so lovely. And I just, I'm, I'm owning it. I have a teenager niece, and I am like she needs to know this <laughs> like she's coming into her teen years she's gonna be in high school next year and I'm like you need to know it is not about losing anything eventually this is gonna happen to you and you will be your sexual debut well, you know, um, it's, it's funny hearing that because I remember in high school I was known as a sexual deviant and ooh. I was a girl to like you don't want to hang out with her because that influence yeah and <laughs> It's because I owned my sexuality. I remember mm-hmm. when I lost my, so to speak, lost my virginity. You know, it wasn't in the most ideal of circumstances. Are they ever? Well, it wasn't with a partner that I was dating, mm. right? Oh, and, God. <laughs> but in the 90s, yeah. as we've talked about, the stigma attached to that was really scary. Mm-hmm. And I was branded as a slut. And all mm-hmm. of these really bad terms. And I just, man, I wish I could just go back and be like, you know what? This is my debut. This is what I'm choosing yeah. to be my sexual debut. And y'all can just go fuck yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I still am owning my sexual debut story because I lost my virginity or sexually debuted myself uh, to a trans woman. That's right. I, when, yeah, I'm not going to go into detail, but like that was... A very telling sign for me of like, you know, who I was about to become. And and let me just her too, though. Right? She wasn't trans at the like. She wasn't an out trans woman. Like she was still. She was was attracted to you, and because 
you you have never been a cookie cutter vanilla person and I remember when you told me when she became like completely embraced herself and became officially transgender Mm -hmm. I was just like yeah 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 and it's a a very similar reaction when she told me and uh she said she's going through HRT and I was like oh that's amazing great good for you that's so wonderful and and she said oh you're not surprised I said bitch you used to steal my clothes (laughs) (laughs) come on you think I'm surprised by this at all like no um but anyways, we were getting off topic. You were talking about what was the what was the thing before I started yeah. talking about sexual debut? Well, just the lack of knowledge around polyamory mm. and how people assume that it's you just want to have sex. You just right. want to have multiple partners. It's not about yeah. love, <laughs> relationships, or a bigger thing than that. I know that yeah. there's the stigma that gets associated with it. So talk about yeah, that. For sure. So I usually get, when I tell people I'm poly, um, you know, I used to get, I was going to say I used to, because I think it's changed even a lot in the last few years. But the first thing I always used to get from people is, oh my God, you must be having so much sex. (laughs) (laughs) And okay, well, I mean, there's still seven days in the week. (laughs) <laughs> I'm still a human being with my own needs and my own drive. Um, and I have standards and, yeah. um, and I have relationships, right? These aren't, um, you know, these, this isn't about sex for me. This is about having loving relationships and like any other loving relationship uh, dynamic, you have to make sacrifices and choices and work in and you're going to have fights and you're going to have like all the things that you have in your monogamous relationship I now have with multiple people (laughs) you know different levels of course you know how much I prioritize one over the other and um but no it's not always about sex sex is definitely on the table with your multiple partners but it's not I'm not having, it's not like I'm sitting, it's not like you walk into my house and it's Caligula, you know, like this is, <laughs> in in fact, like we did buy a king size bed because we're like, oh, we, we had a, you know, we have a long-term partner. We share a long-term partner. And I'm like, well, sleepovers are going to be much easier if you have a king size bed. But then people are like, come in, they're like, oh yeah, you guys have a king size bed. I'm like, okay, come on. My parents have a king size bed and they're not doing that. So honestly like we just sleep on opposite ends of the bed anyway we don't we don't cuddle we just like we just leave room for Jesus in the middle all the time (laughs) but yeah so there's there's that that really bothers me I think is when people just associate your relationship dynamics with with just sex like I I don't look at anybody in a monogamous relationship and go you must be having so much sex or like somebody in like a long-term committed relationship and like oh you must be not be having any sex at all and like who knows like I don't care about I don't think about people's sex lives like that like why are you sexualizing my relationship dynamic so that's that's one the the second one is um, once they hear about it and like once they hear about all the things that I do and all the relationships that I have and, you know, and then they go, oh, that sounds so great. I could never do that. <laughs> and that one is so, so lovely to hear because it's like it's a good self-actualization for somebody oh. to be like, oh, I could never do that. 
good. Awesome. Don't. I look yep. at you with your kids and I go, fuck, I could never do that. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm not about to like say it out loud. Right. It's, like it's a terrible comment to make. It, it, it is. It, it's, it's putting you down for being able to do something that someone else wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. And the, 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 like legit answer is yeah. Then don't <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Stay <laughs> far away from it. Like it's, 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 like a lot of fucking work let me tell you yeah like you think your relationship with your partner is a lot of work already try having four partners or try having like two partners like even it's it is it's 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 a lot of work so um yeah don't do it if you don't think you can um but if you're wired for it if you honestly if something feels so fundamentally a part of you that you're like, I want to experience multiple love, like multiple. I have what? How many? You know, how many um, uh, vents are in the in the heart, ventricles or whatever they're called are in the heart? There's four. I'm like, great. I have to fill all four of them, right? Like, yeah. there's not. You know, there's yeah. not for me. There's not one perfect person out there. You know, my husband came very close. Um, but there's definitely like, okay, yeah. At the end of the day, he doesn't have a vagina. Like, he can't yeah (laughs) you know you can't give me like a woman's touch um (laughs) you know and there's just there's other things that I want from other people like I don't want the same things from my my husband as I do from my boyfriend or my girlfriend right like it's they're different different levels of companionship so um so yeah that's that's the that's the second one I think as well um and forgetting what the third one is hearing about this Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what it would be like to have children and be in poly relationships. Can you imagine? I can. And only because we dated a girl that had kids. <laughs> where do you, uh, where does you do where time? What? Huh? Yeah. And there's lots of people. There's yeah. lots of people in our, in the community. Like I'll call it the community. Cause we know lots of polyamorous people now that are married happily kids, the whole thing. Um, it's it becomes a village of of family yeah, at yeah. that point, right? Can you imagine like, okay, yeah, sure, let's let's imagine that I had a couple kids lying around. Um, is that how you have kids? You just lie around and then they're there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> and now I have a now I've chosen partners who also are cool with it. Great. Now I have not only me and my husband raising these kids, but I might have our partners yeah right and it does like you know this whole it takes a village to raise kids there's your village right there folks yeah it's true right so I think it does work for some people right like at the end of the day it's not I didn't choose polyamory so I didn't have to choose kids and and like I if I felt like I had the mom gene in me I would have done both because I I still am wired for this poly lifestyle but um yeah, it's not, it wasn't a, it wasn't an option for me, but it, it definitely is for some people. Some people can manage it. And really at the end of the day, Google calendar would be your best friend. <laughs> um, it's, it is honestly the only way that I can stay sane these days anyway, but that's, that's what you're going to end up using is Google calendar. <laughs> so that's a good tip. Yeah. There you go. Well, do you have any, <laughs> any last minute advice to somebody who is listening to this mm-hmm. and they're sort of thinking something sounds right here. Something is clicking for me. What do I do? I'm in a relationship, but something 
need, I need to take a next step. What do you, what kind of advice would you give to a newbie? Uh, I'm going to give you the best piece of advice that I wish I took for myself. Um, and I did to an extent, but, um, I, you know, back going back to the early conversation here where I said, if not now, when I felt this incredible need to rush it, uh, I must experience all the things and I must experience them all right the fuck now. Yeah. You know, there wasn't time to waste. I thought it could end tomorrow and I wasn't getting all these these wonderful experiences that I want to get at like done. Like it almost like I had like a checklist where I'm like, I got to do this. 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 Um, and, you know, a, a good friend of mine, I was texting her and she's Polly and asking for advice. And, you know, I'm like, I really want to do this thing, but you know, there's this roadblock in the way and we're fighting about it all the time. And she goes, you know, it, it'll happen eventually. She, and she's just like, what's more important you doing this now or having your relationship last a long time? Like, do you want to just, is, is this just to do those experiences and like screw your relationship or is it to build more on top of your relationship? What's the intention here? And I was like, you're right. Why would I fuck my relationship over just to do this thing, right? Or do a person <laughs> or like whatever yeah. it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was the best piece of advice that I was given was take your time. Take your time researching. Take your time talking to people. Take your time entering it. Have tons of conversations. And, you know, if you are entering into a polyamorous relationship with somebody that you're already monogamous with, um, you know, it, it's going to shake it up. It's going to sh- like, it's going to shake it down to its core. You're going to break up. Basically your, your relationship is breaking up and it's starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. Do not use the foundation of your monogamous relationship to build a polyamorous one. It will not work. Start a new foundation and whatever that means. Start strong and start new. Do not refer to your past monogamous relationship as like, oh, well, we've been together for 17 years. So therefore, you know, those are the those are the things that a lot of people will say, oh, we stopped having sex years ago because we've been together for like 15 years. It's like, no, the way that me and my partner talk about our relationship is within the seven year time span. So we dated for seven years. Then we were monogamously married for seven years. And now we're in this new seven year cycle of polyamory. So, you know, I'll still say, yeah, we've been married for 10 years and dating for or been together for 17 years but the way that I approach our relationship now is that it's still new it's four years in you know it's not it's not the same relationship it was 17 years ago or 10 years ago or even five years ago it is a four-year relationship that we're in right now so that's I don't know if that's advice or just me rambling but there you go (laughs) well it's beautiful the way that you have opened my eyes up to it because I didn't know very much about polyamorous relationships before, you know, you, mm-hmm. before the light went on for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely rewarding in its own way too. Right. So 
you know, if it is something that you really want to do and you're thinking that you're wired for it and you feel like you can put in the work and be okay with really shitty times and know that you can get past it, um, then, you know, why not? If not now, when, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about total change the topic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about what we're here for. Well, secondary, secondary. Mm -hmm. But um, as I love to do, and anyone who has listened all the way through up to this point, I like to ask my guest to tell me their top three favorite horror movies. So I'm going to quickly give the three titles and a spoiler alert if anybody has not watched the following three movies and you want to watch them stop the podcast now go watch them then you can come back and listen to us discuss so the movies we're going to talk about are scream alien and midsummer yeah that is your spoiler alert and if you haven't seen scream or alien by now then you know what too bad (laughs) (laughs) midsummer i can kind of deal with because it was last year yeah but Scream and Alien have been around. Like, Alien right. is as old as Star Wars. Like, come on. It's older than <laughs> so, we are. It's way older than we are. Let's just say it's way <laughs> older than we are. <laughs> well, not, not way older than me, but older. Yeah. So, first, let's talk about Scream. Yes, please. So, tell me, why is this in your top three favorites? Okay. I'm going to set the scene for you again. <laughs> I love it. Setting the scene. Um, no, I'm going to screw up the years. I'm sure it was like 98 or 99 um, that Scream came out. Uh, Wes Craven, of course, uh, already a big um, slasher movie director. And setting the scene with Drew Barrymore. So Drew Barrymore is one of arguably at this point in time, a very big actress, very big movie star. She's just coming into like her adulthood. Uh, She's broken by the whole like drug addiction teenage years. And she's like, really, this is now she's breaking out to be a big movie star now. And she is on the front posters of this movie as Casey Becker. She's in the first 10 minutes of the movie before getting stabbed to death in her front yard. It is, if you've seen Game of Thrones, again, another spoiler, it it is the Ned Stark cutting the head off scene for a scary movie. Yeah, it's true. You just don't see that coming. You bought the ticket to see Drew Barrymore. You stood in line at the box office to see Drew Barrymore, you bought the popcorn expecting a Drew Barrymore movie. And in the first 10 minutes, she's gone. Well, and this is one of the fun facts you and I had briefly discussed before. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say it now because it was not my top fun facts. But for those who don't know, and I did not know this, um, Drew Barrymore was initially cast as Sydney. And the entire prep for that movie was based on that happening. And I believe I read five weeks before shooting was set to start. She made the decision not to be Sydney. She wanted to be Casey and she wanted to die right away because she thought 
that the whole movie would be based around and ironically after you just finished saying this mm-hmm. on her star and she didn't want that to take away from the filming and reading that just made me love her even more I right? abs- oh I right? love her I love oh, her. she's so great. She's so all great. the women either want to be her or be with her, and all of the men are just thinking she's the biggest smoke show. Yeah, especially in the nineties. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the main reason I loved this movie right from the very beginning. Um, the second one is, you know, the horror genre had kind of died off. Like, I think the nineties, <clears throat> it was all like, like the eighties were great for horror movies. Like, you had you know, all those classic slasher movies, you had Freddy and you had, you know, um, Jason and, you know, coming from the seventies into the eighties with Mike Myers, Michael Myers, Michael Myers, Myers. screw that up. (laughs) Um, Not the guy that played Shrek or Wayne, but the other one. Um, And uh, Jason from the lake, as I like to call him, Jason, (laughs) Jason from the lake. Um, And and then the 90s came around and it just kind of died off. Like Ooh, it was all straight that, to VHS. That is going to be a big topic for me because I don't agree with you. Yeah, but the mo- I, I'm not saying that the movies were bad. I'm saying that the the genre in itself wasn't recognized as a theater going genre. Well, it was it was all straight to DVD or straight to VHS, right? It was challenge accepted. I am going to discuss that. Okay, you discuss this. I will. Okay. <laughs> Are you discussing it right now? No. Okay, let me go. <laughs> but yeah, so then, you know, Scream comes out and kids are just flocking to the theaters again for a scary movie. And, you know, and, and they're they're scared now because <laughs> this beautiful actress has died in the first 10 minutes. Um, so I think that that's, it's, it is credited as revitalizing the horror genre in the 90s, which I think is... Um, I'm going to agree with that, but you can, you can discuss further and I'm totally okay to have that debate with you um, because you're way more, way more into this than I am. Um, You know, and I was a big party of five fan. So like Nev Campbell was not a disappointment for me, Um, you know, and you've got Courtney Cox and David Arquette who met on the set and like ended up having, you know, a short term marriage and a couple kids together. So like the whole, the whole lovely um, storyline is just, it's classic. It's, you know, Jamie, uh, what was the guy's name? Jamie uh, Kennedy, Jamie Kennedy. He's basically the, like the narrator for this movie as well, which I think is really interesting where, um he's basically telling you what the plot point is going to be and like who's going to die and like of course like who the murderers are and like if you just like listen to him the entire time he's like he's giving it all away but we're all just sitting there like oh my god he could be the murderer we don't know who the murderer is and he's like legit telling us who the murderer is yeah Yeah. (laughs) so you know and they cast this like johnny depp looking beautiful specimen of a human being because they probably couldn't cast johnny depp um (laughs) So they find the next best thing with Skeet Ulrich and Canadian. It's a Canadian Matt uh, Matt Lillard and just yeah, so so wonderfully beautifully cast. Um, and yeah, it's scary. Rose McGowan. Oof. Oh, and Ro- that was the was that the second one? She was. Oh, she was nope, in the first the one. First. That's right. Yeah. She gets it with the garage, doesn't she? She does, and I yeah. find out as well that the scene. You know how she gets stuck in the door? Yeah. She was actually so skinny and so small. She kept falling out of it. So they had to adhere her to it. So that actually would not have been a legitimate death scene for her. 
Wow. Because she's so, she was so skinny. Yeah. I know. <gasps> Interesting fun fact. You are full of fun facts oh. today, Anya. <laughs> well, listen to this. Let me tell you a couple more I found. Okay, out. tell me. I'm ready. So the first, it was partially inspired by a true event. Called, yeah. It was the Gaines, Gainesville Ripper in Florida. So this was 90, in 1990. A man named Danny Rowland. This is after he had already killed people. He set up a campsite. This is so creepy. A campsite in a wooded area behind the University of Florida. He then slipped into the house of a couple freshmen, stabbed and raped them in that order, apparently. Hmm. Then his next victim, he severed her head and then left it on a shelf (sighs) facing her body. And so the writer was re- watching some Barbara Walters special about this and was so sickened that he couldn't, he couldn't help it. He just started writing the screenplay. And yeah, apparently, it must have been cathartic. I, kind of, yeah. It, it, he woke up in the middle of the night, apparently, and just kept writing. And he wrote it all within only a few days. Wow. I know. I knew it was based on a true event, but I didn't know all of that it's, gory detail. Oh, well... Even the details of the man killing, he killed his, or tried to kill his father and the murders he did before that too. It was, ugh. What's really interesting about that is that now, like the the guy who wrote it then kind of made it cheesy and campy, which might've been helpful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's not as horrific as it's, the real life yeah. thing. Yeah. But the inspiration was there, right? So. Yeah. <gasps> oh, I know I like it's. That. This is where I don't have that creative mind. I don't no. get inspired and am, I'm not able to see something and then make something fresh right. from it. Mm. But this might have been a fact that you also found out. But Wes Craven was not the first choice for director. I did know that. Who was it? There was four of them. Yeah. Um, but I noted three. Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle. Robert yeah. Rodriguez. Oh, and Sam Raimi. Oh, I can. Oh, okay. So Sam yeah. Raimi was coming off of like, you know, a bunch of stuff in the in the eighties. So that makes sense. Yeah. Danny Boyle. That would have been very interesting. Like Danny very Boyle, different. like Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. Danny Boyle. Like, come on. Yeah. Um. And who was the other one you said? Um. Oh my good. Oh, uh, Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez. You can go one or two ways with that one. You can either go the Spy Kids route or like. <laughs> well, he did. He did from Dust Till Dawn. He did do from Dust. Yeah, so those... I just imagine it would have been even gorier. If, yeah, I can if... see it being hokey gory though, like Kill Bill gory. Yeah, but that's Quentin. That's I know that's Quentin, but like that, but Robert Rodriguez does that kind of like squishy gory. It's true. He does squishy gory. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it. Squishy gory. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the last fun fact I had, and I had no idea. I actually had to pull up a picture. Linda Blair had a cameo in this movie. Yes. Did she you? was a reporter. She was a she reporter. Was, she was the reporter with the really short hair. And yeah, I really did not recognize her in any kind of way. Yeah. That, she kind of looks like a little figure skater or something. Like yeah. she's so tiny, tiny and short yeah. hair. She, I don't know. She just, yeah. Yeah, and she looks like an old mom. Fun facts as well. I mean, you you nailed a couple of mine, um, but like the inspired by real life case in Gainesville. uh, It was originally titled "Scary Movie." Yeah, 
which I then, you know, cut to a couple of years after Scream started, you know, coming out with their franchise. And then there was Scary Movie that came I out, the, the farce on all of it. Um, it is credited with revitalizing the horror genre in the 1990s um, with like, I Know What You Did Last Summer and all of those, you know, teenage slasher movies after that. And then um, it has been accused of inspiring a lot of copycat crimes. Huh. And there's a whole bunch of them listed on Wikipedia. You should go take a look at. Ooh, I, I'm yeah, I, it's no, it's fine. You, I didn't want to read any of them out because they were like, it's all teenager based. Like, well, and, and the thing about this movie for me was, and I know you know this, and I'm not sure if I've mentioned this in any of my previous podcasts, but I have a very intense fear of being stabbed to yes, death. Yes, you do. And this movie did not hold back on stabbing. It definitely is very stabby, stabby. It's very stabby. <laughs> and I think, um, yeah, just that, that like right in the chest, right? Oh. <laughs> just the terrible. Casey Becker scene was intense yeah, for me. It was super intense. Yeah. It definitely, um, here's a fun fact too. It definitely scared me out of losing my virginity or having my sexual debut until I was like well into my teens. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's also that. Yeah, but wouldn't that almost be worth it with Skeet Ulrich? No. <laughs> No. Johnny Depp, maybe. <laughs> Skeet Ulrich, no. So let's move on to your mm-hmm. second pick. Hooray. Which was interesting to me. Um, yeah. Alien. Alien. Why? Ridley Scott. <sighs> Sigourney Weaver, yes. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, because I think a lot of people give this science fiction credit. And it is science fiction for sure. But it's horror film first, science fiction second. Um, And, you know, and and the the distinction I can make here is that sci-fi movies usually are about, like, how humanity is going to go on under a certain circumstance, right? Like, you look at, like, Interstellar or, like, any, like, those those aren't typically scary movies. Um, But Alien fundamentally is about running away from, like, a monster. Yes. Right? Like, that's a scary movie. <laughs> so I, every single, even now I've watched it like a hundred times. Even now I am on the edge of my seat sweating. I have to like take clothes off because, and then by the end of the movie, I look like Sigourney Weaver just down to my white skivvies, like, <laughs> you know, with my cat in my lap. Um, so for you, it's not Netflix and chill. It's alien and chill. It's alien and get naked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There is no chill in my room when I'm watching Alien. (laughs) But uh, yeah, and again, it's like one of those things, like it launched Sigourney Weaver's career. Like she was like 29, I think, when she made it. So flipping hot. Um, And it almost wasn't made. It like sat on like tables of execs for like years before it was like ever picked up. And the only reason it was picked up because... 1977 a little science fiction movie came out called star wars and launched sci-fi movies again yeah and then alien got made in 1979 so like thank you star wars for making sci-fi cool and then for making alien happen so yeah i just interesting things that i read in doing my fun facts for this Mm -hmm. one and i didn't know this either um it was initially written for an all-male cast yep so she wasn't even chosen as a as a female lead no there was like nine people cast in the entire movie 
Yeah. And then they they recast it a couple of times, I think, and I could be getting this wrong as well, but I remember seeing like one of those like movies that made us things and it was alien and it was like, it was recast several times and um, they wanted a older cast. They kept casting these young people, like these 20 something girls and they wanted a cast that was, that looked like they would be astronauts. Well, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like yeah, Britney Spears is not going to go up when she's 16 years old. Exactly. Like, you know, these young, you know, good looking, whatever perky kids are not scientists, right? They're not going up. They're not, they're not yeah. going up in space and doing math and like, you know, being doctors and like, anyways. So yeah, I just think that that's really cool. And she was the youngest person in the, on the cast at, at 29. So well, the final casting was incredible. John just, Hurts. Oh, oh. What, I, what I really, really, really respect about Ridley Scott is I read that in his opinion, gender was irrelevant when it came to the right cast. Yeah. So initially it was all supposed to be men in the writing and they ended up with two women. And one of them was the lead. The lead. And yeah. he just felt that that was the right pick and that they could make all of the subtle required by, you know, the big blockbuster conglomerate to change into the genders as they needed to. But that's really impressive to me from an, a director at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the pacing. Like the pacing of this movie is so good. It builds so much tension and you know how much I love tension. We talk about tension in, in Quentin Tarantino movies and like build, 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 build. Um, but it builds all this tension. And then you think, oh, finally it's over. She's going to be <laughs> safe. It's fine. Her and Jonesy, they're fine. Jo I root for Jonesy every single time too. Jonesy's the cat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this little orange tabby, so cute. Uh, and they get into a little space pod, and okay, great, she's uh, she's gone. End of movie. Oh no, it's it's in there with yeah. her. <laughs> and you know, it's it's these these big moments, and and it even moves into Aliens. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember watching Aliens years after I had watched Alien, and thinking, you know, well, this is just it's exactly the same as alien this is exactly the same it's it's like it's you know whatever and it's it's nothing new i'm not seeing anything new and then at like f an hour and 20 minutes in um she walks into that nest yeah and she realizes what she's walked into <laughs> and again i'm in my living room taking clothes off because i'm sweating and i'm just like right back shit just got real yeah so I, I the pacing is so good because it does all this tension build and you're wondering like oh just when you think you're safe you're you're not right so yeah true. yeah love love alien and i love sigourney weaver and oh. she's like a knockout yeah even still to this day she's just like just the most courageous actress i, I think i can like yeah, she's not. She's in like my top three for sure for wow. for favorite actresses of all time. Yeah, she's so great. And I went as her for Halloween last year. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, yep. yep. Well, some fun facts I found out. Yes. Which I love this first fun fact. So the alien was played by a man. Doesn't surprise me. Who is six foot ten? <laughs> he was a six foot ten Nigerian wow. student named Balaji Badejo. He didn't even audition. 
a casting agent saw him in a London pub and that, that he got the role. And then he took mime classes to get the alien motions down. Wow. Wow. Is right. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that watching the movie and I kind of feel like I want to go back and rewatch it just to see. Yeah. I yeah. just assumed it was animatronics or so something. Did I. Yeah. No. That's a good one. Uh, I was like, you know, I'm sure they cast Chewbacca in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um the chestbuster scene. Mm. So classic. Ridley Scott kept the details hidden from everybody <gasps> i knew this yes and the reactions on film were legitimate they knew something was going to come out of his chest but that's mm-hmm. about it and i guess he just had to get their reactions on film so that's yeah i thought that was really cool and my last fun fact was the original cut of the movie was three hours and 12 minutes yeah it don't ever go looking for the director's cut of that movie by the way <laughs> i I own it, and I've only ever watched it once. It's not very good. Okay. Don't look for it. Noted. Just watch the theatrical release. Do you have some fun facts for me for this one? You know, I don't. That was it. That was it? Yeah, just, uh, you know, the... um, the fact that it almost wasn't made and it was because of Star Wars was the best fun fact I could come up with. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, and this brings us to our last and final movie we are going to discuss today, which is one of your top, and this is easily in my top 10. Easily. It's Midsummer by Mm. my second favorite current movie director for horror movies. He is absolutely killing it. Killing it. Killing it. So tell us why you liked this one. Mm. What don't I I know about this one? I I, 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 I like my heart is racing right now, Anya. Like it is <laughs> jumping out of my chest just thinking about this movie. It, I, and I mean, you know me, I am not big into scary movies or horror movies or like, like the fact that I picked Scream as one of yeah. my top ones should have hinted a little bit about how I'm like, ah, I'm squeamish a little bit. So you recommended I watch Hereditary, and I did, mostly without hands across my face. Um, and I was, I, I was baffled with Toni Collette and with the performance and the build. The pacing was good. Again, build and pacing, build and pacing. Yeah, you like a uh, that, that last flippin' 20 to 30 minutes of the movie I was under a pillow let me know when it's all over give me the play-by-play I can't handle this I love I love 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 shit like that yeah midsummer same director totally different concept similar in the way that it's like a cult type thing but it's not dark yeah. It's in fact the opposite of yeah, dark. And what I mean so by that is the, the the cinematography, it's it's all in the day. It's beautiful. I think yeah. there's like one or two night scenes. Like and it's barely like it's barely dark. Yeah. Um the fact that it's shot in broad daylight gives you that sort of that false sense of security. Yeah. And the thing and I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about this honestly. 
the thing that affected me the most was the fact that I'm watching this movie going, this could really be real. Yeah. This could be a thing that yeah. anyone could, could go and do and have this experience. And it's all plausible. Yeah. None of this was like, you know, um, supernatural. None of this was outside the realm of our imagination or a possibility. Like, you're not looking at this going, people would never do this. Like, shit, there could be people right now in different parts of the world doing shit like this. Like, and it's just, it's, it shook me to my very core. Like, well, listen to this fun oh, fact. And yes. This one is not a. <laughs> Take this, me out of this. this, well, this is I'm take, shaking. It's not going to take you out of this because this is not a fun fact, but mm. it is a fact. So the rit the ritualistic practices and the mm -hmm. pre-existing folklore were half based on fat. Yes. The pubic hair in the food and the menstrual blood in the drink is tied to real, real things, real yeah. practices. That yeah. is. I guess Ari Aster found that these rituals happen in his research for this movie. Mm -hmm. That is yeah, I remember seven. immediately, immediately after watching this movie and going onto like every piece of <laughs> thing on the internet that could tell me like, <gasps> what did I just watch? Uh, yeah. Is this real? Like, what happened? Like, it's it it I, the only <laughs> this is so stupid, but the only other movie that affected me that much from like when I was like 16 and it's on my like top five list is Blair Witch Project. And there's a whole other podcast dedicated to like <laughs> me loving Blair Witch Project. <laughs> but it's everything. The the, the 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 cinematography, as I said before, like the broad daylight, the cinema and score of this, like the music has that it's always just in the background tint like just playing um I'll, I'll i'll express how nerdy i am right now so i was playing dungeons and dragons because i'm a nerd um with my dnd group and uh the the dm or dungeon master um and this is not a sex thing <laughs> had a score for our our game um going and we were like you know rolling dice and fighting demons and whatever this is a fictional game that teenagers all over the world play and so a song for midsummer came on and it was the last scene in midsummer you know the the burning and yeah. the what again no spoilers but oh no we we can do spoilers we can do spoilers so you know she's sitting there in that engulfed in those the the flower bed of flowers and she's just you know solidly there and she's watching everything burn and the whole thing and and that that um that score yeah that is there and if you, you need to go back and listen to it and i'm sitting there and i'm starting to get like nervous and sweaty at the table <laughs> and i looked at my dm and i was like what are we listening to because it's really making me anxious <laughs> And he's like, uh, okay. He's like, it's just, it's the, from my D&D &D score on Spotify. And I'm like, could you just tell me what this song is? Because I'm like, it's legitimately like, feel my heart. And he's like, felt my pulse. And he's like, fuck, what's going on with you? <laughs> and this was like a couple of months after I had seen Midsummer. I hadn't seen it again. I hadn't even paid attention to the score or anything. And he looks at his phone. He goes, oh, it's from something called Midsummer." I'm like, turn it off. Turn it off right now. I can't listen to any more of this. Um, and uh, it was so, you know, a movie will have lingering effects on you 
after like months after when it has such a beautiful score That's right. <laughs> so so if I ever just need to be like scared shitless, I will go back to that song and just like, I, I, cause I need more anxiety in my life. I that's should right. listen to that all the time. Um, so I really, I think that's the, and, and the images get locked into your, like they get burned into your retinas, you know, the, the jumping off the cliff scenes, just like, and then the, the fact that the guy did it wrong and couldn't die at the end and they were hitting it with the hammer and like <gasps> all of it just, so that and the probably the the worst uh the worst sex scene i have ever like and not not worse as in like oh this is awkward like worse as in like this is terrifying terrifying this like what is possessing anyone to do any of this um and he just walks in there and the whole, the, the fucking creepy it's all like. And they're pushing his bum down and onto her. They're like really yeah. being a part of this. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But the scene, the, the real, like I, I thought made the movie for me was um, where she, she finds him having sex with this teenager uh, runs out goes to the the bedrooms and starts crying and all those girls come around her and they start mimicking her yeah oh my god florence Pugh needs to win an oscar for the rest of her life yeah. for that scene yeah it's really amazing it's it's so impactful like she was so good for that so oh. and so young too i think she's only like 24 or something yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So and a world of a difference from the movie I saw earlier that year with her, which was Little Women. <laughs> so yeah, very uh that movie stuck, stuck with me. Um Nicolas Cage. This is my okay, my my fun fact. I have two. Okay. My fun facts are really um two quotes from two brilliant humans. Okay. One is Nicolas Cage, <laughs> who called the movie exciting quote unquote <laughs> okay that's it okay you said it was exciting all right then. All right but then. jordan peele of get out fame um most atrociously disturbing imagery i've ever seen on film amazing would you agree oh yeah that just says it all yeah yeah, yeah. that's those are my two fun facts of it i didn't want to dig further into midsummer to be honest, when I was like Googling fun facts about Midsummer, none of them are fun. No, they, well, it was filmed in Hungary. I didn't know that. Budapest. That's yeah. right. My heritage yep. is from. That is your heritage, Anya. Uh, the only other fun fact, it's not even a fun fact. It's just a missed, an often missed, uh, glazed over element of the movie. I didn't realize this until I, I read this and I'm going to have to go back and watch. Um, but so one of the big, the whole big things is what got, what got them to Midsummer, right? And you think mm -hmm. about, well, they had their friend there and he's from there and he invited them to go there. But apparently in this scene where you, it pans over to Danny's dead parents, there is a flower crown next to them, <gasps> which implies that Danny's loss may not have been an accident but rather it was set up to ensure she went on that trip mind dude i know 
You know what that's going to make me do is go watch the movie again. And I don't want to do that. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Ooh, I got goosebumps. Yeah. The article (gasps) I read that in said that they did some research and apparently there are a whole bunch of people that have just ripped, not ripped the movie apart because that puts a negative spin on it, but they've detailed the movie in such a way that they've picked up on these subtle nuances that most popcorn or even non-popcorn, I don't consider myself a popcorn movie watcher. I wouldn't say that you are either, that we just didn't pick up on that. Yeah, not at all. And now I it, it said small things like if you go back and watch it, knowing that you will see it from a different perspective. I will but put my big girl panties on and watch I, it again one day. I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to watch it this week because now that I read that, I have to go back and see all of that. Can you just tell me instead of me sure. having to? Okay, good. Sure. Thank you. Oh, thanks for taking one for the team. Well, it, it was... doesn't surprise me that I wouldn't have like seen that or like paid attention to it. I am so that person that doesn't pay attention to those like little tiny nuances. I did not know for like the first like, 18 times of watching office space that he was hypnotized the entire time (laughs) do you think that yeah legit so he's at the the therapy office and his therapist dies mid with without without bringing him back so he's just like super chill and calm yeah i know i know that's the premise of the movie (laughs) (laughs) and i missed it wow yeah a lot of times (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on here. I just want you to quickly tell people where they can find you and what they can expect from you. Well, you can find me on Instagram. um, Marty, M-A-R-T-Y underscore pants. 666. Uh, It's kind of a take on smarty pants if anyone's never gotten that before. But (laughs) yeah. Um, Good. I like it. Yep. Uh, I'm working on some stuff. Uh, of course, the pandemic has kind of kept us a little bit slower to get stuff going. Um, so I'm working with a really good friend of mine, Dom, uh, who's doing a lot of like light painting experiment work right now. And so we've got some great ideas coming. Uh, so hopefully we can get back together again in the new year and do that. Um, of course, always up for Melissa Malevolent and working with you, of course, Anya, in the future. Oh, you um, know that I'm, I'm counting you, the days. We've got a running list of things, I think, that we want to work do. on together. So I feel that. grateful yeah. because she's been in my bubble. Yeah. So I, yeah. We've been able to constantly shoot together, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I've been doing, you know, I had that one shoot with her in like late September or something like that. We were good and distanced and all that stuff, too. And then same thing with Dom. We were down at the beach. Um and then I'm also dabbling in photography myself and putting myself in front of and behind the camera. So um, I look for some stuff probably in the new year uh, as I'm learning how to work a camera. So bear with me. So, yeah, that should be uh, holding holding things down until I can actually get out there and start working with some amazing photographers again. So I'm doing it for fun, though. I'm not doing it for money. So if it's slower than everybody else, then that's fine, too. But uh, I have a full time gig. And, you know, as you know, I have like multiple relationships I have to (laughs) deal with. So I got a lot on my plate. Yeah. 
Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with and I cannot wait to shoot with you again. Yay. Me too. I just be so nice just to see you again. I know. I know. <sighs> One day. One day soon. I know. Well, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this amazing episode, educational episode. I hope it was educational for everybody. And I know that a lot of um, my listeners aren't from Canada. And um, newer to me is I am now being streamed on a lot more streaming services. So I know that it reaches a lot of other places, a lot of places in the U.S. and some in Europe. So I feel it's very important to bring some of these topics to light because I find we are a little bit more liberal here in Canada and what is day to day for you and I and living our true authentic lives here isn't Mm. the same everywhere else. And I hope people have heard this and really embraced everything that you have said and learned from it. Yeah. I thank you. And I think we'll start to see a change in how we view other people and their relationships. Uh, You know, in our lifetime, we're going to start to see these be more recognized in places, places of worship and in the government and a whole bunch of different things. Um, And that's my hope for the future as well. So but and then also, thank you so much for having me on your show. You're welcome. Many thanks. And have a good night. You too. Good night, listeners.